Good morning. I'm Karen Adebani, and welcome to TKO Talk Radio. And I want to remind everybody that's listening that we are, KZUX and Z, are in the middle of our, uh, what we call our quiet spring drive. That means we're silently, quietly, not really pushing hard, but we need to get it in money for the station. So it's, um, we aren't doing on-air pledge drives. We're not doing where everybody comes in and big parties again, but we're doing a little quiet drive right now. So if you are a member and you'd like to renew your membership or up your membership or add a little bit more, um, please uh, think about doing that. You can do it at uh, www.kzyx.org. There's a big donate button. Or you can send us a check to P.O. Box 1 Philo 95466. Or you can actually give us a call here and somebody will take your pledge at uh, 895-232. Four. So, let me push more buttons here. Um, on the air with me, I hopefully is there, is uh, First District Supervisor, new, newly seated First District Supervisor, Glenn McGordy. Glenn, are you with me? Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you, and it looks like your uh, numbers are popping, so we're good. Um, okay, so Glenn... Um, just became a supervisor, just got sworn in in January, I think the 1st of January, around the 1st of the year. So he's been in office for, oh my gosh, almost 90 days now. And I wanted to get Glenn on the air to introduce him to all the listeners. Uh, he hasn't been on the air in any, except for the debates that we did uh, prior to the election last November. So last week I had Mo Mulhern on, and today I've got Glenn on, and I'm going to introduce Glenn's going to introduce himself to the audience. I've asked him to give a, a bio of all the vast experience he comes to this position with i've known of glenn for many years uh, working around the county and now he's in a key position where he is able to bring the vast amount of knowledge he has to the board chambers and i've been um, streaming the board meetings glenn and um, i gotta thank you for all the incredible um, experience and um, just information you've brought to the board so far so introduce yourself to the audience please let us know you know I know you've been around that district for a long time, and you've worked um, with the county as an outside position. So give us a little bio, would you, sir? Sure, Karen. Well, first of all, thanks. This is really great to be uh, together with you and the KZYX audience. I really enjoy the opportunity for that because I like to talk and, and share some of the things that are going on. So my background is uh, educator, farmer, researcher is how I describe myself. So i I uh, received a bachelor's degree in botany from Humboldt State in 1974, uh, followed by a master's in plant, soil, and water science uh, in 1979 from the University of Nevada, Reno. And uh, I've, I've had uh, academic gigs with the University of Nevada, Reno, with Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, where I taught in the environmental horticulture department. And then I came to Mendocino County in 1987 as the plant science advisor. And my position changed slightly in 1990 when I took over wine, grapes, and pears, uh, which I, I did since that time. So I talk about myself as being the wine-growing plant science advisor for Mendocino County. And I retired in July of, uh, of last year and thought I'd take on a simple little retirement job and become a supervisor. So here we are. Uh, and 
I also farm seven and a half acres uh, along the Russian River where I grow white wine grapes, uh, Marsan, Roussan, Bionnier, and Arnais, which are southern uh, Mediterranean varieties that are not well known to Americans, but they're absolutely wonderful to, to grow and, and certainly to, to drink wine. And that was part of my research project where I always looked at uh, adoptive plant materials to, to our region. Uh, coming out of my interest from uh, being an environmental horticulturist at Cal Poly and teaching plant materials, it was really clear all of our best plants for our climate uh, come from Mediterranean regions, or, including California. And uh, uh, I thought, well, why not wine grapes, too? Because they have a really interesting wine industry in, in southern France, Spain, Italy, Portugal, and Greece. And that's what I did in my career was kind of study that and uh, see how adapted they were. And of course, I had to take on some some really difficult study leaves to to go there to actually taste these wines uh, in the field and see how they were grown. And uh, and it, it was it was great. I made a lot of friends with colleagues, and I shared with them information on my other research passion, which was looking at environmentally friendly uh, farming, which included sustainable, organic, and biodynamic, of which Mendocino has been a leader in the wine industry, and we've learned a lot from that. Uh, uh, and then I kind of finished up my career looking at the whole concept of healthy soils, of sequestering carbon and improving uh, watershed quality, uh, but with farming because they're they're not they're they are possible. And I also uh, worked on the impacts of smoke from wildfires on wine grape and wine. So that's kind of where I come from as a scientist. I, I tend to look at things from the point of view of, of an ecologist because I. I studied ecology was kind of my my minor at Humboldt State, and and taking a global view of things on a watershed basis is really a good way to do it. Whether it's water use uh, or or politics, uh, watersheds are a real important unit in Mendocino County, and we can see that we know that the Russian River watershed is very very different than uh, the uh, Navarro watershed uh, in so many ways, both in climate, plant material, people, politics. Uh, so, so I tend to think that way, uh, and I, I think systematically on, on how how things work as ecosystems, and it applies not only to the plant and animal communities, but I think also to politics too. It's been real interesting looking at the county from that perspective. So huh. that's my background. That's a, that's great. Thank you. That was nice and quick. Um, in prepping for this show, I realized that. I mean, I've been in Mendocino County since 1978, and it's it's fascinating that the the first district has always been the district that has the agricultural background. The supervisor has an agricultural background. I was thinking mm-hmm. through. I was thinking through all the supervisors that I've you know known and you know interviewed on the air for all these years, and it's always been your district that has had a supervisor that has agricultural background, not the other mm-hmm. ones. It's fascinating. Um, I just it's kind of an interesting trend, but um, so one. Um, You've you've been able to actually bring a lot of this background to the board of supervisors. I know one of the things that popped out is there was a discussion on uh, oak management, wildlife, wild um, oaks, the oak trees, and you brought in a specialist to talk to the board and um, to 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 give them some background and information and stuff. Uh, is that something you're looking forward to, hope to doing in the future? <laughs> is bringing good information to the board for their decision making process? Absolutely. It's what we need. I mean, we, we can't possibly know everything. That's one of the things you learn being a university academic is that I may not know the answer, but somebody else does, and we're going to go find them. 
And uh, I'm, I'm not afraid to use consultants. I, I'd like to think that we have a good uh, body of knowledge inside of Mendocino County government, but I know that there's things we just don't know. And uh, we, it, it's important for us to, to reach out sometimes to get the information that we need. Uh, and I'm not afraid to do that. I also had a similar experience working on Ukiah Unified School District School Board and when I was uh, a trustee where we, we used consultants when we thought we needed information and and they, they were immensely helpful. So some people kind of bristle at bringing outsiders in to help us but i think it's essential because we're we're part of a broader community of of of, of the, the region the state the country and the world and we shouldn't forget our connections yeah that's true our watersheds and all of the activity going on here do not stop at the county borders at all no they don't no they, no, they and, yeah and 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 it's it's complicated by the fact that the the, the water that that so much of us are, are dependent on is actually controlled by another county, so <laughs> it, it makes it complicated. Yeah, that's what we're talking. We're talking about Lake Mendocino right now. Yes, that yes. is that's a very complicated situation, and um, basically should have never happened. Happened back in the I think it was fifties, sixties. I actually had the opportunity many years to, to go to, to befriend one of the supervisors from Sonoma County that was on there, was a supervisor at the time when that decision came down. He, he told me the Sonoma County side of it years ago. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's something that's happened. So, um, tell me about, just give me a little, give us a little catch up on your first 30 day or 90 days in the office. And you haven't even had a chance to get into your office officially, correct? <laughs> That's correct. So, because of the COVID restrictions, uh, we're we're sort of locked out. It's it's kind of that. I I could get in if I really really wanted to, but you know I have a really nice office at home, <laughs> and and uh, I look out my window and I can see my my vineyard uh and the Russian River and, and the birds flying by. And yeah, and if if I go to the county government center, it's it's just it's just a little cubicle boxy kind of thing, and I just it's a lot more fun to work at home. I can go outside and take breaks with my dogs and and um, go on little short walks and and so uh, I'm, I'm in no rush to get in there uh. <laughs> well do you find there's things that you can't get by doing it remotely I'm just wondering I know yeah. because there's a, there's a collective kind of uh, energy around the the admin building when you're there and when you're having board there, meetings there and all of you that know, we, so. we, we actually have kind of a nice campus because I, I worked there for for 33 years and uh, they're you know the interaction with people is really really nice so we were in the ag center we had the ag department on the other side and a great meeting room and and uh you know the, the collegiality of of working with people is is really nice which we're we're still doing it but it's by zoom uh so it's, it's going to change the way that we work because we're seeing that we we don't need to spend time traveling all the time to be in person although you do give up uh, you know all the sidebar conversations and the things that go along with uh, socializing in public. Um, so, so we've made do. Uh, it, technology is frustrating. I, my county uh, uh, IT connection is 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 not functioning as well as it should. So I've kind of patched together with with my my UC and Gmail accounts and things, and uh, we're, we're making do, but it's not perfect. So uh, I look forward to to having good support uh in person for for things like that is there so, any is there any time frame as to when they think they're going to be opening up the admin building and you guys are going to get back on 
into the yeah, offices? Yeah, we're, we're, we're thinking probably midsummer. we should be okay. Oh, really? That's not, okay, no. I figured, no. I, I thought it might be a little bit sooner with all the vaccinating that's going on, but. No, we, yeah. well, that, that's that's kind of the working date, maybe sooner, so we, mm-hmm. we have to kind of wait and see what happens in terms of the, the cases per 100,000, so the problem with with having a small population is one case is, is really yeah. magnified compared to, say, the Bay Area where you have millions living on a county so uh we're under a hundred thousand people so when you know uh, three or four cases uh moves us back and forth through the the different tiers pretty quickly so uh we we have to be kind of uh careful about um opening up and but our vaccinations are going well so uh, we're putting a lot of shots in arms here mendocino has been in the the top five counties and in, in terms of percentage of people vaccinated so uh we're feeling really good about that have you been vaccinated just after off i have yeah so i qualified both as a person over 65 and and an educator so i was vaccinated about a month ago and um, i had no side effects so i feel really good about that good because that's one of the things i try to put out on the last few shows is that i've i've also been vaccinated both shots that was a couple weeks ago i think i'm in my second week after both shots uh no side effects went well did good um so i'm always i'm always encouraging anybody everybody on the air when i'm on the air i'm encouraging folks to go get it get it done get your friends and family in talk to the people that you know your neighbors and let's get this done i think we're up to almost 26 percent of the county that has been vaccinated which is phenomenal i love this Mm -hmm. county i love the people in this county and this is one of the reasons we're all taking care of each other so if you haven't done it do it there's lots of ways to find out how to do it and just just please do it so anyway um just a quick uh let everybody know i'm karen audubani on the air with me is first district supervisor glenn mcgordy we're kind of doing an introduction to glenn and we're going to talk about some issues that are um important for him and what he's working on in the county Uh, right now he's just starting out but this will not be the last time glenn and the supervisors are on i'm going to keep um in touch with these uh supervisors to make sure where everybody knows what's going on in the county so you've had 90 days in the office um Mm -hmm. interesting 90 days with not being able to meet with people and doing it all by zoom are you getting what you need from the county and all the information you need to to do effective uh supervising no (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I mean you guys have had packed i i said it last week and i'll say it again your agendas for the last several meetings have just been packed i mean you've been doing seven eight nine hour meetings (laughs) i applaud you sir well well thank you i i uh, have no no problem with the length of the meeting um I, I think we process pretty well as a group. I don't know what you think because you probably watched other boards, but I think that we're pretty collaborative. Uh, people are well behaved. They're respectful, um, and and nobody pontificates. So we tend to get through our meetings as as quickly as you can, I think, and and yet still have some meaningful discussion. So I'm I'm I like working with the people who are on the board. Yeah, as far as from the outside, it looks really well run. It looks like the conversations are being um, uh, pertinent. I mean, there isn't a lot of pontificating. There's a lot of direct just discussion of what's going on. It's just been that there's been a lot going on and a lot of big topics on the table for you um, to deal with. That's what I was seeing. So um, one of the things I discussed with uh, Mo last week and I wanted to discuss with you because I think it's a really big issue. Um, and I know we're just at the beginning of this, but we've got that $21 million, $21.6 million that we got from the PG&E fund for 
for the all the fires and the stuff that they caused. Um, mm-hmm. And that does recovery fund, I guess they call it. And then we also have a big chunk, I think maybe close to $16 million coming in with the CARES from the COVID, from the feds. So... From from what I've been able to gather, the majority of this money is discretionary money, which means that you, the supervisors, can pretty much decide the priorities and where the money can be spent. And as I said, in my time of covering the county politics, I believe that's the biggest chunk of change that has come into the county that's discretionary that I've seen. So... I wanted to get an idea, prioritize. I know you and Mo were going to do um, group, uh, community meetings for Potter Valley and Redwood Valley to see what the people that were really impacted by the fires, what their main concerns are. So can you just give us an idea of how you see prioritizing that money, how you want to get it community input? Because that this kind of money can really move this county into the next you know generation you know finally get us up to speed with where we should be so what do you what, it, do, you, can, what do you think it can certain yeah sure uh it can certainly help us a lot but uh, you know i'll be honest this is going to be really disappointing but we could we could spend 17 million just on fixing uh east road and potter valley i mean that's how expensive things are so so we we have to be really strategic about this and and uh you know, being a farmer, I'm, I'm by nature uh, very thrifty with how I spend my money. So um, we we want to be sure that that a that we we've got a a, uh, a good process in place that is equitable, uh, so that we uh, you know spend our money in a way that that stretches it as far as possible and does as much good for the county with kind of a focus on on Potter Valley and Redwood Valley because they were really impacted obviously by the fires. So uh, we are going to set up some listening sessions. We're already planning them. Uh, we'll do one uh, via Zoom, and probably the other, and that's for Redwood Valley because their their internet connectivity is decent. Uh, Potter Valley has a real problem because when you're trying to do anything by Zoom, you can't do it. So I don't know if you remember Carrie Brown called into her board of supervisor meetings because she couldn't get Zoom. So you know we have a real issue there with connectivity. Uh, so the the Myself, personally, what I'm thinking is that we want to be sure that, that safety is really high on our list of making sure that we have ways of communicating during an emergency, of, of trying to harden some of our communication systems, of having alarms to let people know, making sure that we can, can work uh, reverse 911 and send out Nixel uh, text alerts. Those are all things that would have been really, really helpful for us during the fire. And communications just went down. Uh, the, you couldn't reach people. So we, that's first and, and foremost is, is trying to be sure that we have uh, a way to communicate. The other thing that I think is really important watching the PSPS events is that we have a place where you can go to charge your phone, uh, hook up to the Internet, and uh, have it so that it's independently powered uh, either with a combination of solar and generators. And I'm thinking the libraries or other public buildings, at least one in every community, we should have one uh, to to go to. So, because that's kind of what happened in the PSPS events, especially in Fort Bragg and the and Willis, the libraries were places where people went for uh, just to connect with the outside world. So, so those are the kinds of things I think would be really, really important. 
Um, I also would like to have maybe a, a revolving loan fund uh, for people who are trying to get their businesses back together, a kind of a micro enterprise revolving loan fund with some of the money for, for Potter Valley, Redwood Valley, uh, since they were impacted, and uh, put some money in reserve too, so that we, we always have a little bit of, of spare cash for emergencies, which is something that uh, it's critically important that it's really hard to do for a lot of governments. So these are kind of things that, that come to mind uh, that I think would be useful. Oh, good. So uh, you're talking about these listening sessions or outreach to um, the communities. Um, can you give uh, the listeners any information on how that they can connect and find out about that? I mean, are you going to post it on your web? Do you have a website? Do you have a, I know you have a email account but not an active one i i I really uh, i'm not a fan of social media i'll be quite honest um and i I know that's that's like you know like a genetic defect nowadays for someone in politics but i i uh i i still am a little bit old-fashioned so we do have a real active uh social media presence in redwood valley we have a, a redwood valley facebook page that's on issues so we'll be using the usual techniques of of uh of outreach through that the county does have facebook pages we also have uh, some pretty good email lists because i'll be assisted by uc cooperative extension uh so they they have good email lists for for our district uh, along with the department of agriculture so we'll blanket it with everything we got in terms of social media and uh probably also uh take out some some uh ads and the the local papers and make sure that everybody knows when it's happening so there, there'll be probably like an hour and a half meeting uh on zoom and then for the potter valley ones we're still trying to figure out how we're going to do that because we we would like to do in-person meetings there's a possibility that we could do a socially distanced one at, at the rodeo grounds in potter and that's kind of what we're leaning towards so that we have a, a basically facilitated meetings to gather information, to get feedback from the community and what they see as priorities, what things were kind of, you know, not dealt with after the fires. Here it is, almost four years later, and if there's gaps of things that uh, that people need in in terms of public infrastructure, then we can try to address them. I know that uh, the when this came up about this money, I think it was two meetings ago that the board and different members had requested uh, presentations to the board. Is that isn't that coming up soon? I think you had emergency services that was going to present the fire, the that kind of stuff. Uh, different organizations come or different groups coming in to present to you about some input for the money. That's happening yeah, I, April, I, isn't it? I think the end of the month. I. I haven't looked at the at the uh, board forecast, but yeah, I expect it's coming back pretty quick. So we'll we'll hear. So so again, we we uh, as a board haven't set up a real clear process yet for what we want to do, but we will. It's it's a priority. So uh, and and we're not going to be rushed. We want to take our time and make good decisions. Yeah, I was just thinking that some of the monies, I know they were talking about doing hardening of uh, land hardening, like uh, brush clearing and tree clearing and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think that's, I guess that would be one of the things that you'd have to decide pretty soon because that has to be done before you get into the real hot season. Sure. So, 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 so that kind of stuff. You can get some money out for that maybe right away. Uh, so so we, we have actually a, a really good resource in Scott Craddy at the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District, and, and he's been working grant fund, funding for uh, a fire safe council activities, and, and uh, you know, we, there's also 
Cal Fire did a really wonderful sheltered uh, fuel break on the west side of, of Ukiah and has started on one on the east side, and we've done some control burning. Uh, so all those kinds of things, it's it's time for us to really address. We've basically had 70 years of fire suppression with no real active uh, landscape management, which has put us in a tinderbox. We're, we're not the worst, but certainly it's an issue for our communities. So uh, these are things that we have to start addressing and uh, you know, places that that don't have good uh, ingress egress during an emergency, we have to address. With Brook Trails has done a great job. That's a good example of the kind of projects that need doing. They don't necessarily have to be funded by the PG&E money because there's other grant sources that we could could do that with, and uh, that's where we're kind of hoping that Scott Craddy and and uh, the RCD will help us identify those and it, it is a priority now on the other hand we may use some of the pg e money to help fund scott because he he's on soft money so uh that that would be a good use of our money is to to create kind of multiplier uh opportunities where we can leverage a little bit of funds from us to to get other activities going that's what i like to hear leverage money other people's money i like that <laughs> Yeah, and, and the same thing with economic development. We, yes. we probably should take some of the money and work with West Company to help them uh, identify grant funding. And increasingly, if you look at how money flows from the government to to rural communities, it's, it's grant funding. It's, you know, nobody gives you a direct uh, chunk of money. Uh, you, you have to apply for things via grants. And quite honestly, Mendocino County is not set up as well as we could be. Uh, coming out of the University of California, where we had an office of contracts and grants because the university uh, makes so much of their income off of overhead from those contracts and grants. They they actually have an, a business office that if you're going to apply for a grant, you work with them and they, they check your grant application out. They make sure you got all your numbers right. If you receive the grant, then they create an account for you and they track it. And that's what we kind of need in Mendocino County because we we're struggling a little bit with that. We're not doing as well as we could. Well, and that brings up the point that I've said for uh, many years, and I think my, most of the listeners know that as far as money coming in and going out of the county from the feds and the state, we get more money coming in from the state and the federal government than we ship out. So, yeah, that's that's a good point. And it also brings up a good point that one of the things that's on the docket for the Board of Supervisors is they're going to do some strategic planning. And, yes. I, and I think the whole concept of how many um, contractors we have, how many um, uh, consultants and the different granting thing. I think there was just a kerfluffle with two grants that went into the state recently from the Sheriff's Department and some other, I think it was uh, uh, Health and Human Services that was an overlap. So that sounds like a perfect, uh, like a good topic to go for strategic planning. It, it is. Uh, so it's it's really time for us to take a whole look at the way the county is structured. Uh, we presently have a chief executive officer. And so in a sense, the, the board has one employee, you know, which is Carmel Angelo, uh, and plus some other departments where, where they uh, report directly to us. But for the most part, we don't necessarily interact with department heads. So under a, a, a chief... Uh, administrative officer system or CAO system, which we used to be, there's more interaction between department heads and uh, the board. And, and that's the direction I think this board wants to go. This is this is a pretty activist board. You know, they really want to be hands-on. And as I say, the, 
this board doesn't sit on the board. They're active on the board. And uh, we don't have a lot of passive board members. Everyone is is passionate about something and they uh, they serve on ad hocs and they're doing things. And um, we have an opportunity with Carmel retiring in, a, in about uh, a little over a year. Uh, so, so it's a chance for us to, to, to look at and, and restructure the way the county does business. And, and I think we need to do that. So are you leaning towards a CAO model? Is that what I'm yes. hearing? You are. Okay. Yes. Well, this is fascinating because I, I lived through and I was on the radio in, in 2005 when we went from the CAO to the CEO. And personally, I, I liked the old system. I know, I know as a programmer or doing talk radio, I had better access to a lot of department heads and it just seemed like mm-hmm. there was more information out there. So this will be fascinating. So is this going to be part of, I think this is part of the strategic plan discussion, isn't it? The CEO versus CAO? Okay. As, and totally. Yeah. And you, you um, are you leading the charge on the strategic plan or who's actually setting that up? It's planning. me and John Haschak. So, so it is so John okay. had wanted, yeah, John had wanted to do strategic planning for some time, but he didn't have a lot of support with the old board. And then uh, I ran on uh, that was one of my campaign issues was I wanted to see us do strategic planning because I don't understand how you can run <laughs> an organization as big as the county, which is a budget annual budget of around three hundred million and uh, eleven hundred employees. I, I didn't see how we could could. You can't know where you're going if you don't have a map, right? Right. So, uh, and, and that's what strategic plans do. And then out of that, you build a budget to, to meet your strategic plan goals. And that's what we did at the University of California, which was really effective and allowed us to be relevant and to make sure that we were doing things that were important to uh, uh, our organization in the state of California. So I kind of feel the same way about strategic planning. Uh, we'll, we'll focus initially on on internal uh, county structure, but there will also be ample opportunity for feedback from the community. So that's that's how we're planning to do it. Well, uh, that's the. I mean, I think that I personally, I think this is a great uh, idea. I think it's something that should have been done a long time ago. And um, with Carmel leaving, with uh, our CEO leaving, and I think she's uh, twenty two months, maybe now it's less. It's a perfect opportunity to look at the whole structure and see what we can do because things are changing. And I will say this is a really good board to be approaching the strategic plan. I think this is a very, like you said, very involved and engaged board of supervisors right now. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. we're trying. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I've been watching the meetings, sitting through all the meetings, and I, I will I will say it's very engaged and very active and and also really communicating with their districts. I mean, I know Ted Williams is just all over social media. Mo is all over social media. Um, and actually, John um, is coming. He's getting more active on, on doing more outreach, too. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're talking about outreach and how do you get a hold of it, if people do want to send you questions or send you ideas and stuff, how do people get a hold of you as a supervisor? What would you suggest? So, so I, you know, I, I have uh, uh, an, an the county email, which is mcgordyg at mendocinocounty.org. Okay, that's a good one. Um, and and are you on? You're not on Facebook, I gather. If you're not a, I, I am uh, intermittently. <laughs> okay, so we we shouldn't be message private message you or DM. No, don't private message me. Okay, okay. It won't work. It won't I, work. I don't, uh, yeah, it okay. just it's I don't read it often enough. I I mean I mean I watch my wife. She lives on Facebook. She's checking everything and and spends lots of time, and I don't. 
so, you know, uh, I I do have a uh, a dedicated phone line that I've I've used for my campaign, which is still active. Oh, would and you- it's seven zero seven four six eight eight six three two. Great. Okay, that's good. I will. So those. That's good. I mean, it's always nice to, for people to be able to get a hold of you and you know tell you what's on absolutely, their mind. yeah. And and I'll be honest, is one of the things that we need to change is that I have no staff, and I'm trying to figure out how in the world can can I do constituent services and all the stuff I'm supposed to do as a supervisor with no staff. That's the weirdest thing. Actually, and, I brought uh, that up last week with Mo. I asked her because I think. I don't remember when the board, it used to be the board of the clerk uh, did kind of that and they had secretaries in the office where mm-hmm. they assisted the supervisors years ago. I don't know when that stopped. It could have been with the CEO concept. But, um, and I hadn't checked in to see if you guys actually did get to at least have some staff hours because of all the paperwork that is going past you guys just to do the agenda. I was thinking, wow. So, well, the, yeah, there's, there's that. And then there's the fact that, you know, I probably get 40 or 50 emails a day. Um, it's, really? It's near, yeah, wow. it's not impossible for me to, to respond to everything. I just it, I think that's my one frustration on the job is that I, um, I I don't have as much contact with people as I would like to have, and this is where if if I had someone who could read my emails every day with me or for me, said and saying, hey, you need to respond to this like right away, and I try to uh, I try to, to flag things that are important, but sometimes I miss them. I'll be yeah. honest, and it, it's just it's hard to keep up. Okay, well, um, listeners, I'm Karen Audubonne. You're listening to uh, TKO. My guest today is First District Supervisor Glenn McGordy, and we're going to shift over to a topic that Glenn's concerned about, I am totally concerned about, and then we're going to open up the lines at quarter till nine. So if you have a question or a comment, get it lined up, and we'll take calls at about quarter till uh, ten. So, Glenn, the big issue, water, water and no water. Um, yeah, uh, that's exactly right. Is no water. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel that I have neighbors, their wells or springs. We don't do many wells in my neighborhoods, mainly springs have dropped down below where they've ever been. My spring has never, I've 30 some years out there, it's dropped below, and I have the headwaters of Anderson Creek. Um, Lake Mendocino is a puddle. Um, you live on the Russian River. Do you have any water in the Russian River? Dude, the, there will be water in the Russian River. Uh, we've got enough water in Lake Mendocino to to maintain the flows that we need for for fisheries and wildlife. Uh, but here's here's where the situation is with Lake Mendocino water. We we have about thirty five thousand acre feet of water. Uh, normally, this time of the year, we'd have closer to eighty thousand. Um, and in the course of of a normal water use year. Uh, it takes about twenty-five to thirty thousand acre feet to take care of our our needs uh, between Mendocino County to uh, Healdsburg. This year, we've got fifteen thousand to use. Uh, so that almost certainly means that uh, there will be curtailments for for ag customers like me that we won't get any water after a certain point. Uh, so. Uh, the Sonoma County Water Agency, who controls the release from the dam, wants to be sure that we have at least 20,000 acre-feet by October. So they're giving us a pretty limited amount of water to use. And 20,000 acre-feet is just, that's that's going to look 
very, very low. And uh, But they want to be sure going into fall that we have something left because who knows what's going to happen next. So uh, that's a big, big concern. It, it has really dire consequences for places like Redwood Valley, which depend on I don't know how they got the advice that they did, but they, they did not participate in the uh, the Lake Mendocino water when they had the opportunity. Uh, they did not participate in the Russian River Flood Control District water pool when they had the opportunity. So they get surplus water uh, from whatever's left over. And this year, uh, they're going to be out. So what, what they've done on an emergency basis, they've hooked up a pipe during the last drought uh, to the Millview Water District, which also diverts water from the Russian River. And Millview is kind of not looking real great either in terms of uh, the amount of water they're going to have this year. So I'm really concerned about Redwood Valley. Uh, they, they're they a mixture of, of wells and, and also a uh, the Redwood Valley uh, County Water District. So um, it, it's just not going to be good. It's going to be really really difficult for them and up and down the russian river we're all going to have to be really really careful well even fort bragg i heard um in this last week is already putting out uh, the conserve conserve and don't use already for the fort bragg yeah, area th- that would be an advice to everybody is that as you're you're planning ahead uh you store water now and uh if, if you don't have a tank you should if, you, if you're not connected to a water system so uh, I think that's really important to to get water storage in place early. Don't wait for everything to run out. And uh, so so we, we, we know also that that places like Willits and Fort Bragg and certainly the town of Mendocino, those are all really uh, uh, you know water insecure. And it's it's something that that also I I believe we should do is develop a uh, a meaningful Mendocino County Water Agency that kind of assists us with water security for the communities. For instance, the one uh, one bright spot is that underneath the Ukiah Valley uh, is a very nice amount of water, about double the size of Lake Mendocino. And uh, it, it's not all underflow from the Russian River either. There's some some very deep aquifers there. The city of Ukiah, under the direction of Sean White's, done an amazing job of kind of updating all their their water systems. They have some new wells. Uh, they they can actually get by without any service diversions if they had to. They they're recycling a significant amount of water uh, after sewage treatment. Uh, they're also taking some of the treated water and also perking it back into the groundwater. So they're, they're getting to be very, very sustainable. And uh, I, I head up uh, uh, the Ukiah Valley Sustainable uh, Groundwater Management um, organization that we've created. And we're pretty good. You know, a lot of places are, have issues with groundwater being overdrafted, but in, in uh, Ukiah Valley, we're, we're pretty balanced. So that it's the one bright spot that we have in our water supply here in Mendocino County, it's it's a, a pretty good aquifer, and uh, it's set up well for us to take care of the city of Ukiah. My opinion is that that we should set it up so that we have a water system that that can wholesale water all the way to Redwood Valley, and uh, you know that that would be the the ideal situation. We'd have water security then from Ukiah um, up to Redwood Valley, and and we'd never have to worry about running out. 
Wow. That's, um, I like the idea of about an overarching water uh, agency because I think the feedback from the different, like you said, the collaborative things that are going on <clears throat> and talking with each other, that might really actually help because everybody, I mean, each district, like Anderson Valley has its own little water systems and um, Mendocino mm -hmm. has theirs and Point Arena and all of that. So it would give us an overarching idea. Um, one of the things that um, we were going to bring up, too, is this whole thing with all, I know it's a big issue, but the whole idea of the cannabis uh uh, ordinances that are going in, I really, really hope that they're addressing the water and not being able to haul water and you can't develop and, and, and uh, subdivide and you can't do any of that if you can't prove water. I mean, that's that to me is a way you start at the basis of you just can't come in and plan a lot of stuff if you can't water it. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. So um, you to to engage in, in in living or farming in Mendocino County, you have to have a water source, and uh, that's something that is essential. I just did some really quick little calculations before I got on the show to try to get an idea of, of what how much acreage of, of cannabis we actually have. So there's a, a 1,100 permits out there. Let's assume that everything was planted to 10,000 square feet, which I know it's not. Uh, if we look at that, that would total to about 250 acres. And my my sense is that we use about two acre feet uh, per per acre, so that's about 500 acre feet of water that is used for cannabis growing, which in the in the big grand scheme of things is not a huge amount of water. The problem is is that the places where a lot of this cannabis is, there is no water, so or very limited water. Right. Uh, the industry was kind of designed to be hidden. So it's it's back in places that aren't exactly prime ag land with well-developed water sources. So they do have a pretty major impact on on uh, some important uh, uh, water resources for for fisheries and wildlife. So this is this is why uh, as we go through into phase three, a uh, really important part is that any licenses that are issued in the future have to be CEQA compliant and. Uh, you know, to align themselves with the the state regulations, so that will address uh, water resources and and other environmental impacts. Well, and, I, and not too long ago, back in the '90s, when there were a lot of these big ranches that were splitting up and subdividing into 160s and smaller, you had to come in in order to subdivide and you to get a parcel you had to prove that it would perk sewage or waste mm -hmm. but you did not have to prove that you had water on that property the county's opinion was ah oh, just let them truck it in um that's, that's I, insane <laughs> i know i you, you don't want to know how many times i ranted and raved and you know through things um yeah it just seemed so it just because i had i had parcels subdividing around me and they'd pop a well and it'd be dry they'd pop a well and then they'd just say yeah we don't have to prove it they can truck it and i was like jesus so so, um, but the other thing is what you're talking about is you say you have 1,100 applications, and that's just the legal cannabis. That's not all that's the right. illegal cannabis of greenhouses that I look at when I drive home. Um, so th this whole water issue really does wrap in with agricultural and the cannabis industry, which is trying to get legalized and do all this stuff. It's a this is going to be a big this is, to me is one of the biggest issues around the cannabis is the water. And and are they sucking the well drives for all the neighborhoods or are they trucking yeah. it in and destroying the roads? And on top of it, aren't, aren't there, and I don't know, I know you guys are, the board's trying to work on it. Um, 
I'm not so sure there's any really legal ram or qualifications like you can just have somebody truck in water. They don't have to have a license. They don't have to say where they're getting it from. I know Laytonville and a lot of places, people are coming in in the middle of the night and draining tanks to have water. That's what I just heard about recently. I was like, oh, my God. So Yeah, yeah. We, we hear about water pirates. There we go, water uh, pirates, yeah. Yeah, so so uh, legally speaking, they have to be licensed. They have to have a legal source of water. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of people who aren't. Uh, Matt Kendall, our sheriff, has been trying to, to crack down on them when he can, and the highway patrol does as well. But, uh, you know, there's, it's, it's hard to patrol this, this county. It's a, it's a big area, and uh, they, they don't catch everybody. But, yeah, it's, it's something that is a huge concern to, uh, to communities when, when you're in a, a water-tight situation like we are. So yeah. uh, it's it's and and uh, it, you you can't get a license if you don't have any water. Uh, so you can't be legal uh, if oh, you're good. if your your water uh, source is going to be trucked water. You won't get a a, a legal permit to, to farm cannabis. Well, I'm glad to hear that. All right. Well, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna take a and we're gonna open up the phone lines eight nine five two four four eight for listeners to call if you have a question or a comment for Glenn McGordy. Um, fascinating show. Thanks so much for coming on, Glenn. I just these are the kind sure. of issues that we need to talk about because water has become such a critical issue. It's not going to go away, um, and it just seems like it's going to be getting less and less. And then you compact that with the fire danger, and it's just like I know you say we're not in one of the worst tinder boxes, but we're sure getting to be a tinder box. And um, mm-hmm. it's really concerning that we don't have you know aren't going to have water to do a lot of things with, let alone the whole tourist industry requires water in Mendocino casino in fort bragg that's another big issue that i just thought about all right so we have our first caller let me get my buttons pushed good morning caller you're on the air with glenn mcgordy hi hi um, I'm ju- i just like to say uh, my opinion is and this is a little harsh that the new generation of industrial pot growers coming in will don't really care about the resources is they'll take it as long as they can take it and when it's gone they're gone just like any boom and bust industry oh that's an interesting concept yeah there's a certain amount of truth to that and you know the the, we we still have pretty strong outlaw element in the cannabis industry that i think we'd all like to see go away i don't know anybody that's happy with it and and uh you know the manifestation of that is that people who've been buying houses like in potter valley and on main street and putting up a hoop house behind their building instantly and starting to grow cannabis which is completely against the regulations mm-hmm. um yeah and i mean it, it, it's a situation where you know i i support <laughs> legal cannabis and uh, you know i don't smoke i'm an old hippie but i i support the idea of it but the the in, the uh, legal infrastructure needs to be made really uh, airtight. You know, there mm-hmm. has to be laws that that regulate the water, that regulate the consumption of land. It can't be mm-hmm. just all over the place. It's already all over the place. I mean, there are neighbors who loved their night sky, and now they have a cannabis grow next to them that glows all night long. Yeah, that's no, true. It, it, that's what I see. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm seeing. It's terrible. It's terrible stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and, so and, I, you know, my experience. I'm a landlord. I have rented to people 
I've been liberal with the, whatever they were choosing to do, and they've just ruined property. Hey. They don't care. Generally, they don't care. All right. Thanks for the call. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that was happening with buying a house and putting a hoop house behind it in Potter Valley. That's really going on? Yeah, there's a, a lot of people who just are completely ignoring the rules. So uh, that's why we're, we're probably going to adopt the same model that Humboldt uh, County does of, of what they call active code enforcement, where right now we have complaint-based code enforcement where someone has to complain. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, as, as part of Humboldt County's decision to really go to the next step of, of legal growth is that they 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 will uh, essentially do surveillance and figure out where illegal growers are and they will hit them with uh, code violations and and charge them on a day a fine on a daily basis until they cease and desist and it's been highly effective well it, it kind of takes me back to the early 80s when we had camp and comet come in and they were doing flyovers and that's when they were taking out all the huge you know illegal grows of thousands and thousands of acres in the in the in the in the national forest and on private big ranches and stuff and it doesn't seem like we've had that kind of concentrated enforcement for quite a few years to mm-hmm. me anyway maybe well, randomly yeah, but- the- no, you're exactly right, and 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 since uh, it's been legalized, what Matt Kendall tells me is that the the uh, consequences are a thousand dollar fine or six months in jail max uh, for a violation. He can take their plants, but you can see the risk is not huge compared to doing you know serious time in jail and such. So uh, that's that's why there's a feeling that we have to do something because there's so many people who are are illegal. And uh, and it's it's starting to really affect the quality of life in Mendocino County, like you said, the the glows at night from these things. And you know what I'm hoping for, if we have an expanded cannabis industry, that it would be an agricultural crop, like setting, you know, uh, where it's sun grown, it's out of doors. Uh, we're not putting up hoop houses. We're not having lights. We're we're doing a more sustainable kind of farming that protect soil uh, as opposed to putting road base down on it and then putting containers full of artificial soil grow medium it's it's not really i think what most people in mendocino county want and and this is a time for us to figure out if we're going to have an industry what kind of industry do we want and that's not even bringing up the grading ordinance we still as a county do not have a grading ordinance we tried for 10 years solid to get a grading ordinance we do not have a grading ordinance and i will tell you i look across at Topland from the top of my ridge and I see people going in and just cutting out huge flats to put greenhouses on and that would not I, I don't think that would be allowed if we had a grading ordinance correct uh, well it's probably not even allowed now <laughs> I think it's uh, allowed now those, yeah, right. those are, are legal these are some of the things we have to talk about as we start to discuss uh, uh, an oak uh, ordinance because what, what yes. I'm interested in is not the the first or, round of the ordinance was focused kind of on trees, but I really want to talk about uh, oak uh, woodlands as, as ecosystems. And putting a road through an ecosystem is really an invasive uh, event. You know? Well, and you, I think you, any of these things that you do, you have to look at the whole concept. Of like if you're going to have 
agriculture, will the land support it? I think a lot of these places where you've got greenhouses and stuff, if you really looked at the scope of what they're doing, they're they're taking resources from other parts of their um, watershed. So let mm-hmm. me just give out the phone number gift, 895-2448, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation. Um, we're kind of all over the chart, but right now we're talking about water and ecosystems and um watersheds and all of those things that incorporate that so um i really like the idea well, we have a caller we'll get back to my ideas good morning caller you're on the air with us Hello. yeah i'd just like to make a comment on the uh proposed abatement program that mendocino county would be running and i know what's happened up in humble is everybody just went back indoors uh with large generators so you have to be really careful about trying to put it back in a box, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure how do what what is Humboldt doing around that when they put it back in the box and they've got generators and hoop houses and stuff. Are they well? They well, they try to enforce the indoor grows, but you know they're much more hideable. So they have a harder time finding these indoor grows. And another comment that I would like to make too is that. I think if you want a lot of the cultivators to come out of the woodwork and participate in the legal framework, the state needs to make it a little bit easier. It's very cumbersome. As a person who's went through the process, uh, it's more regulated than any crop, and it's really, for the small farmer, it's not profitable. So it creates this uh, atmosphere where only the big boys can compete. And Mendocino County is not going to dictate the markets when the market wants greenhouse-grown products. Excuse me. Um, You know, full sun-grown in native soil is going to lose out. It's it's just what the market is is doing. I thought the market was shifting. I thought we were going to be like the Pinot instead of the two-buck chuck. Good luck with that. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not... Okay, so that's not yeah, happening. That, All right. That, that, that's a really uh, interesting discussion about, uh, you know, what capacity does the state have for, for, for raising cannabis? And the, the numbers I've heard is that 5,000 acres of cannabis would take care of pretty much all of California's need, and about 30,000 would take care of all the United States' needs. So we could do the whole thing with, you know, 30,000 acres. And that's, agriculturally speaking, that's not very much land. So you figure that California's got 10 million acres of irrigated farmland. Uh, we're already seeing where Santa Barbara and Monterey counties have kind of moved uh, cannabis industry indoors to replace the cut flower industry. And they're producing a lot of cannabis. Uh, so the, the whole market economics are, are interesting in terms of what's going to happen. And, and certainly, I wouldn't expect cannabis to be any different than any other agricultural crop that we grow. There reaches a saturation point of of supply and demand and uh that's something that's a big concern yeah just the resources that go into growing indoor whether it's in a container buried or if it's in a hoop house uh the resources mm-hmm. that go into doing that like you said because i know a lot of these greenhouses are off the grid and and actually using generators which has just got to be obnoxious so, yeah. <laughs> no seriously um uh there's one close to me and i can't hear it all the time but my neighbors can hear it running all the time which is pretty Pretty, yeah. pretty incredible. So we've got to gl- uh, wrap up here, Glenn. Any last comments or anything you'd like to get out before we go? Well, I just thank all the people who supported me in my campaign, and um, I'm going to try really hard to to make sure that I uh, represent our first district well, but also 
I'm very cognizant of the fact that I really work for everybody in Mendocino County because uh, it, it takes a team to to run the county, and I'm really committed to that. I'm a team player, and and I'm going to always be trying to do things the right way, uh, and and hope that we make this a really great place to live. It already is, but we can make it better. We, so <laughs> we certainly can. And um, uh, you have all my contact information. So if anything comes up and you need to talk and get it out, do feel free to get a hold of me, and we will get you on the air. So that sounds good, Karen. All right, you have a great day, Glenn. Thanks so much. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Bye bye. All right. Folks, you're listening to KZUX and Z, and we are in our quiet drive. Please take a moment and donate to this incredible project. You just had access to the first district supervisor. I'll be back with you on the 14th, and then at the end of the month of April, I'm going to have the DA on. So take a moment, give us give us some money to the station, 895-2324 to call it, P.O. Box 1 Philo for snail mail, or just go to www.kzwax.org and hit the donate button. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.